passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock and Waiting. Here with you for Rewind to Dynamite live at 10.05 p.m. Eastern Time. Because Way thought, you think we can do it? <laughs> I was like, let's try. Dude, that was uh, – uh, we, we, we're here. We made I'm it like, five minutes after the show. This dude. was a scramble, dude. I, I really <laughs> cherish those 15 minutes. You know, you don't, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Like, I, I mean, you, I'm sure you, you're the same. We're typing our final sentences after that main event. And all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, it's 10.04. We're starting in one minute. Like we got to like set our cameras up and then just get right in there. So we're trying how, it today. How, how rushed but, am I, folks? You want to know what tea I'm drinking tonight? Glass of water. Okay, that's what oh, I Oh boy, no time to even make a tea. Poor John no, Paul. I'm, I'm so. gonna have my post post podcast tea. Post podcast tea. Okay, that's that sounds nice. So I mean we're not committed to it, but we're trying it this week and then you know, as with most things, maybe it gets easier as, as the weeks go along. Well, here we are. Uh we have a, a big edition of Dynamite to chat about the St. Patrick's Day slam. And uh want to make mention first, off the top, uh if you're enjoying how fast we were able to go live. Give us a thank you by subscribing to the channel. Give a thumbs up on the video. Circulate the love of post-wrestling. And we do have a brand new edition, the March edition of the Ask Away Mailbag Show that is up now as we speak for all members at postwrestlingcafe.com, where we tried a new format this month, Way, and I thought it went well. Yeah, that's right. We've been trying to do a lot more kind of live interaction and live streaming for all of our shows, including our Patreon shows. And that was no different for this week's Ask Away, where we allowed um, our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons to join in on our live recording and to even ask live Zoom questions. So a lot of you guys uh, took advantage of that and joined us live to ask questions in addition to our usual mailbag. So I thought it, it was a lot of fun and successful and something we'll try again. Yeah, I think we'll do that again next month for for the mailbag show. But if you want um, about uh, close to 90 minutes of your mailbag questions going into a lot of different directions, uh, some some wide-ranging questions. So uh, you can check that out now if you are a member at postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, also on the site, we have the post-daily news that goes live each weekday here on the channel at 1 Eastern. Uh, today's show is up with Wei Ting and Andrew Thompson, uh, good friends, better enemies, and now even greater friends. Um, you know, he likes me thankfully right now, but he does not have such kind words for one Neil Flanagan in Ireland. So it was a lot of fun talking to Andrew as always about the news and really everything else uh, going on in his life. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, I will be doing the, uh, the new show on Thursday, uh, with Rich Fan from the Pro Wrestling Torch site. So looking forward to having Rich on as we will catch up. I'm sure we'll be talking, uh, some of the follow up from Dynamite and whatever other news is going on. And then Way and I will be back on Friday night at 10.05 PM Eastern time, right after SmackDown, because Rampage is not starting till 11.30 and we are not starting at 12.35. So, uh, we will have a, a, a SmackDown review and your calls on Friday night and then we'll be back to the normal Rampage, uh, review schedule next week. And also tomorrow, it is the return of the wellness policy on the Post Wrestling Cafe with me and Jordan Goodman. We will be joined by our very first professional wrestler on the show. His name is Jackson Stone, and he is somebody who has started a nonprofit called You Are Loved, which is a community that he has built among pro wrestlers offering free weekly mental health support groups uh, for, for by mental health professionals for wrestlers. So it'll be re- really interesting to talk to him about some of those topics. So if you're a Post Wrestling Cafe patron, join us at 3 p.m. The show is available for free at postwrestlingcafe.com afterwards or this YouTube channel. All right. Uh, let's get into Dynamite from Wednesday night at the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas, in what I believe is the best crowd thus far of the year. This crowd was incredible. They were hot for everything. And then they had another gear in them for that main event. Um, this, this mm-hmm. crowd, I cannot say enough great things. This was a, tr- this was a tremendous show, but it was elevated by a crowd that was just so enthusiastic, so hot for so much on this show from hangman out there at the beginning. Like the, the second Adam Cole walked out, the first person out, they were going nuts. Uh, the Hardys uh, and then the main event, like this crowd deserves a round of applause. I thought they were fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, there have been a lot of great crowds this year, John, and, and a lot of them, you know, for these uh, markets that um, are just salivating for any sort of AEW content. And today was no different. I think because, though, this crowd knew what they were going to get at the very end, and um, they were certainly, you know, showing their appreciation for it throughout the show. Well, I can't say it was a perfect show because at the end of it, I think everyone realized all that bottled up heat that was left on the table, Waste. Un, unusable, just gone. Yeah, what could have been? <laughs> uh, we'll and then never the know. crowd leaves, so angry. What are they going to pay for next time? Oh, Jeez. I'm never ever going to go to this stupid company show again. <laughs> never. Yeah. <laughs> But we will get into uh, all of it. But uh, they did announce this as a sellout. So the final number was probably around 6,800 people. So this was a really solid crowd uh, for AEW. And kicking things off was the the trios match with Hangman Page, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus against Adam Cole and Red Dragon. And early in the match, they isolated Luchasaurus and just attacked his leg and knee and kept him in the corner for a long time until he just powered his way through and tagged Page. And they went nuts for him. Cowboy shit chants throughout the arena as he's uh, diving to the floor. He's hitting Pescados. He's clotheslining everybody out. And the crowd's just chanting for him. He... Hints at the pu- the buckshot lariat, but Bobby Fish rolls out. So Jungle Boy leaps over top, taking out all three on the floor. And then they execute a triple moonsault out of the corner off the uh, post and apron onto the three heels on the floor. Uh, they get the advantage on Jungle Boy, come back through picture in picture. And we have uh, Kyle going back to the knee of Luchasaurus. Uh, a doomsday device gets thwarted and Jungle Boy leaps over Luchasaurus and gets caught in midair with a super kick from Adam Cole 
And then him and Kyle apply double submissions. Paige is in the guillotine, crashes into Kyle, breaking up that submission. And then it comes down to Paige and Cole. And they start going at it. It features a dead eye from Paige. Everyone gets involved. Paige hits a lariat. And then Jungle Boy holds on to Luchasaurus with the Greco-Roman knuckle lock, scales to the top, and we've got Cole and Kyle O'Reilly on the shoulders of Luchasaurus and Paige, and he hits a double doomsday device coming off the top. And then Jungle Boy is left in the ring, gets nailed by Fish and set, set up for the boom as Paige is held at the apron, and Cole pins Jungle Boy in 13 minutes and 57 seconds. A fantastic opener. I think this is typically what happens when you put great wrestlers together, but man, like I really marveled throughout this match at the incredible chemistry that Adam Page had with the Jurassic Express. But in terms of their creativity, what their triple team moves, that that three-way moonsault was awesome. That double doomsday device was awesome. Just like great moves with great athleticism, timing, and great creativity attached to them. Those are spots we all will remember after a match like this. I find that Paige is almost like the perfect mid-sized wrestler to fit right in between Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy to almost complete that package. So I certainly wouldn't mind seeing this group team together again. Um, Really fun opening match. And of course, you know, you set up your title matches with every member of the Undisputed Era and, you know, this group here. It was an interesting finish because, you you know, Adam Cole probably does need uh, some kind of a of a pinfall here to, to lead it to, but it's like, you could go in an interesting direction here where Cole now has a pinfall over one of the tag champions. You've got the rematch with hangman that I think everyone thinks they're probably get to on some, t- maybe battle of the belts next month um, mm-hmm. as a potential spot for, for that rematch, but lots of different directions. And I agreed. I thought like page jungle boy and luchasaurus, you would think this is like a trios group that has been working all over the place. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a broken record, but if they introduce a trios division, there is going to be no shortage of depth when it comes to like just th- the talent you have that you can put together. And this was a perfect example of here are your tag champions and world champion. You can put them together and you had this hot 14 minutes to open the show. That is uh, absolutely true. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry, Dark Order. Um, they might have something to feel even more upset about seeing how great Paige was with these two here. That's right. Yeah. I mean, can't say Paige made the wrong choice, but they mm-hmm. did lose. So mm-hmm. Shivani's with Keith Lee and Starks and Hobbs, and they have agreed to no uh, physicality for this interview segment. And it's going to be Keith Lee and Max Caster on Rampage. And Starks and Hobbs brag about laying him out with the spine buster on Friday and warns that they'll do the same thing this Friday. And Lee reminds him that he punched them like a little bitch. So we're promised a spine buster and a punch in retaliation on Friday. So stay up late. Always good to use a B word in there. Yes. yes. To elicit some reaction. One of two. Why not? Uh, We had a video of Chris Statlander going over the feud with Layla Hirsch and removing the paint from her face. Is she taking on a human life form? Is that all it takes to convert yourself to being human? That is it. Uh, You just have to look yourself in the mirror and make that decision. And if the paint is removed, then your species alters. It might be time to shed the gimmick for Statlander. I mean, I can't really say it's, you know, throughout her AEW run, it's it's been that committed to. It just seems to come and go. Um, and uh, when you spent this much time on Earth, I think you start to become humanized. <laughs> Brian Danielson and John Moxley with William Regal against Chuck Taylor and Wheeler Yuta. Um, did you get to hear any of the Regal interview? Or not yet? Yes, I did. Oh, my goodness. Do you want to talk about mm-hmm. that after? We could talk about it now. 
since okay. we're about to talk about him in the show. This was like the most like it was like the most catastrophic story followed mm. by like Regal making like just one upping his own story of like just how terrible uh, of a state this guy was in from neck problems to spinal fluid draining out of uh, out of him like just horrendous descriptions of what he went through and you know being on on death's door nearly needing his leg amputated um mm-hmm. this was a guy like uh you know 2018 just and then gets to a story about like breaking his eye socket and having yeah. amnesia for three weeks which was almost like a sidebar story and was like not even his his main focal point that he was on that he was explaining around this late 2018 hospitalization we're, we're talking about the talk is jericho interview uh that he released with william regal by the way which uh, john has a recap of in his uh, daily update today but um yeah it's like it, this is like it felt like one of those things where you know you don't talk to a friend for quite a while and then you catch up with him and he has the craziest stories about like, you know, being in and out of hospitals. And we kind of kind of got to experience that through Chris Jericho here, who, I mean, you know, is a longtime friend of Regal's. But even he had no idea of all of this stuff that had happened to the man. Oh, he said he kept a lot of this private. Like he didn't, yeah. uh, you know, he didn't want you know sympathy from, from people, but just got it all out here. And, you know, it was a very emotional interview. Like he was breaking down at certain points. Oh, goodness. And- yeah. And it was sort of just like his own kind of train of thought because I have to imagine Jericho must have asked maybe three questions. Pretty much, yeah. In fact, um, he said at the end they're going to do a part two because he probably didn't get to any of the questions he had originally intended to ask about, you know, what, what's been going on. But like it's interesting with Regal because it's not exactly like he's been out of the public spotlight. You know, we I feel like we've seen him pretty consistently throughout, you know, the NXT run popping up here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, who, and also a role that if he if he did disappear for a few weeks, you're not it's not as noticeable. But th- this was or, you know at the the end of 2018, I guess it was um uh, more more pronounced of him. But in this day and age, like we know about everything that happens to these wrestlers, you know. So the fact that like this much had happened to this man that he was near death for so long that he realized at some point that he was living with a broken neck for 30 years. It's incredible uh, the fact that he's managed to keep it quiet this this long. I mean, of course that that's that's to you know the, the, his his personality. It sounds like, but um, it also kind of tells you that hey, it's been a long time since we heard from William Regal, and I mean really hear from the man because he had a lot to say, a lot to get off his chest. It was very emotional, and you know, I mean, he's a fantastic storyteller, of course. Yeah, I mean, if if you've read his book, and I, I reread his book not all that long ago, and it's like he's going through like all of all of the like substance abuse problems and what his body went through, and then going to India in 2003, which is briefly mentioned here, and almost died from that as well. And Jeez. and then it's so so in this interview, he notes that it was in 1998 he was diagnosed with pericarditis, which is like a swelling of the sac-like tissue around the heart, and it can scar the heart. And it got, you know, once his, his like in ring career had, had like wound down, it began to like calcify and Mm -hmm. they had to like remove like that calcification. And if they didn't, he would have had six months to, to live. So, you know, he's having like heart surgery and that just, and that seemed to lead to the later with this, the spinal uh, column issue where he, his spinal fluid was leaking. And he described this procedure of essentially they could not like 
cover the wound. It, the wound had to essentially heal on its own, and he had mm-hmm. to stay in an upright position for eight days, and they would come in and drain the fluid, which he described as just the most ungodly pain because it's setting off all of the nerves within his body and just felt like his, you know, his, like his head was being chopped off. He had also, like, somehow um, attributed, I wasn't exactly sure if it was this injury or a prior, prior injury, but he attributed something to him, to causing him throughout his career to staying up at night, which led to him. That was the neck issue. So in 93, he had a match with Ricky Steamboat and it was like he did like uh, it sounded like he executed the bridging German and broke his neck on that. And, you know, felt the pain of it like he, he, I guess, had like numbness or lost feeling. But, you know, his neck is so built up and strong that he was able to work through it and went through pretty much his career with a broken neck that he didn't get taken care of. So when he finally had to have surgery, this is 2014, they go in through the back and realize how bad it is and that he's got this like this gel that has built up, like this hardened gel that has kept his neck together. And his explanation of it is that for for years he has had such terrible sleeping problems that – when he would try to sleep and adjust his neck, like the pain receptors would essentially shoot off like adrenaline as it would to like handle pain. And he'd get like adrenaline going through his body. And of course he cannot sleep from this. And he would go like three days without sleep would not be uncommon. So this is like 93 to 2014. And of course the more, I mean, beyond the, the incredible pain and discomfort and lack of sleep, the more serious side effect is that he, he seems to believe that it led to his pill addiction, which I think is, I mean, you know, the, the scarlet letter that's, that's attached to the man's career for his entire life. And who knows, like, you know, prevented him from achieving what sort of success and nearly probably ended his life on, on its own. So, uh, man, incredibly heartbreaking. And, and also just like the, the, one of the more fascinating points of the, of the, of the, of the uh, interview was, I think be, even though this was just an audio interview, you could hear the seriousness in the tone and the emotion in his voice when he talks about current wrestlers and neck injuries and yes. needless which, head which bumps. Is, and, and you hear Jericho's reaction. Cause this is taped mm-hmm. just days after the Kingston match and mm-hmm. Jericho even saying like, that was the one time. And yeah. I really get the sense he's never doing that one again. Oh, he but, said. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, the t- the timing of this, uh, it's it, it was something. And, and he brought up the fact that he really thought that Mitsuharu Masawa's death would open up a lot of eyes. And I, I remember at, at the time when, when Masawa died and um, mm-hmm. I can't remember who I was interviewing, but it was like the Monday after on on a fight network radio show and having this exact conversation about this being a real uh, crossroads for the industry when it comes to such a celebrated figure um and if this if there's any silver lining that this will um you know sway modern day performers uh, away from this kind of thing and and it did not um but mm-hmm. regal had like the the same and this is someone who is scouting everyone worldwide yeah. and you know he has seen this up close and personal and here he's you know, he, he's living with the effects of, you know, and, and someone that was like hardly getting dropped on his neck to the degree that that's some that we see. Of course. Yeah. And of course, coming off of like, you know, what had happened to Big E um, last week, I mean, it, it's all the more a, a serious of a message. Um, but 
I, I think it, it's it's sort of like a glimpse into maybe the type of instruction and influence he might have on this AEW roster who is very which is very young and you know clearly known for taking a whole lot of risk um so i think you know just even for for the wisdom and the longevity uh in 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 his career and how much he's able to perhaps you know help the longevity of this very young roster i mean uh, i i think he's he's an invaluable get for for this company um, there was a time, there's a, another mention where I mean, I was also like not really, I think, aware of just how plugged in to the scene he is. I mean, like the man talks oh, about going to, to PWG and just wa- being watching everything, knowing every single person, having to put together the, the NXT UK tournament on two days notice and crying when he saw, you know, the, 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 the European wrestlers show up all just ready to go. Um, so he's probably familiar with everybody in that roster. Certainly. Like, I, I mean, that was the the role of Regal was to be like, he was like the conduit to so many of these like performers and getting them um, on, on WWE's radar and essentially like sifting through the, the pack of like who, who can make it and going and holding all of these tryout camps and, and such. And what a, what a giant ship. Like he brought it up many times, like working with, with Canyon Seaman and everything was about network content, growing the network. So what a drastic change over this last year and a half where we're talking about going to all these different geographical locations, setting up NXT satellite groups, and boom, it's that is no longer a priority. We're not even putting documentaries that we have ready to go up on the network. It's a total uh, shift. I, I do also want to note, and it was, you know, brought up many, well, at least a handful of times here, like WWE took great care of this guy. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, there are many people that if they had a fraction of these problems would not have the means to take care of them. And that's mm-hmm. a sad reality of the healthcare system. And he was in a company that took exceptionally great care of him and extremely expensive treatments, uh, experimental treatments, various operations. And I think the company certainly deserves a lot of credit for that. And a company that gave him a lot of chances, you know, over yes. the course of several decades. Yes. Um, so I I don't think you'll ever hear a bad word from uh, William Regal against uh, the WWE um, and and I I think there are times where we really should I think applaud the company for like that company for for being able to take care of certain um, a certain number of its performers like that. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't heard the interview, like it's it's like a really it's it's a tough listen, but it's it's you know he is very detailed and it's like it's it's a miracle he has come out at, at like this stage i'm sure his day-to-day is not pain-free by any stretch but mm-hmm. um it's it's miraculous what this man has been through yeah all right so getting on to uh the match at hand so regal was placed on commentary and thanked jim ross for doing as much as tony shivani did for him excalibur you have done nothing for me <laughs> he noted. Well, he he got to uh, listen to some of his commentary through the PWG tapes. I'm sure. Well, I was going to say, I bet Excalibur comped him at PWG. So, I'm, maybe. I'm, or maybe he charged him. I mean, uh, that was always <laughs> the, the thing that was like they, they did not do comps at, at PWG, but I would imagine there were maybe some exceptions. Uh, so Chuck Taylor and Weida, Wheeler Yuta are the opponents, and uh, Orange Cassidy is out still in the sling, and Daniels and Moxley charge and attack them before the bell even rings. They lit up Jimmy Jimmy Yuta Wheeler Yuta uh, like a Christmas tree here with brutal chops and kicks. Oh my God! Uh, 
Taylor knocks Moxley off the apron and catches Danielson in a single leg crab. Moxley then tags himself in and kicks him off. And Danielson hits this running knee that looked like he just drilled Taylor, applies the Indian death lock, and Taylor kicks out right into a Kimura from Moxley. Uh, they go through picture in picture. There's a heart attack onto Yuta, and then Moxley stops a pile driver on the floor, bites Taylor, and hits him with the DDT. Danielson continues with the big kicks to the chest of Yuta, and he just takes it, and he fights back, and all of a sudden, this crowd gets behind Wheeler Yuta, and they're mm-hmm. all chanting Yuta. And this match was structured so well that mm-hmm. when Yuta just showed fight, it like stood mm-hmm. up to these guys. It was like the crowd was behind the guy fighting Danielson and Moxley. It's not just this match, but I think the weeks and weeks and weeks of us seeing Wheeler Yuta get his ass kicked by people like John Moxley. And did he didn't he like lose to to Brian as well? Like in one of those matches. The guy just like gets beaten a lot, okay? And like it's it's kind of like the young lion thing in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where like we know what his role is. He's here to lose to the star, but in in doing it in such a I, I think at um impressive way and, and showing so much in the loss, um the moment he starts to fight back and you see him improve, this crowd just latches on and he's immediately a sympathetic like favorite that we all want to see improve. And sur- survives some suplexes. They're all chanting for him. Danielson stomps him down and Moxley applies the bulldog choke for the tap at 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, it, it, this, this was great, but it mm-hmm. all set it up for, for the post match, which they, they just laid this match out so perfectly and the crowd responded just as they wanted for this moment afterward. And Regal is in the ring congratulating Moxley and Danielson and Yuta is going to walk uh, up the ramp with the best friends, but then turns his back and re-enters the ring, puts out his hand to Regal, who just waffles him with the yeah. hardest slap. This was like uh, a John Stossel and just puts out his <laughs> slaps him and then tells him to go on and prove yourself. And maybe we'll have a talk someday. Mm. And Utah left the ring to go prove himself. I thought this I- was tremendous i fucking love this like the match itself i think was tremendous everything was tremendous first of all william regal on commentary okay uh brilliant first of all just to kind of put him there in order to give us more of the backstory of why he put brian and mox together as a team um he i mean he wants to help elevate all of professional wrestling but like i think he's also regal is just great at like drawing our attention to the technique and the detail of of the activity inside the ring the mentality of the, of the wrestlers so whenever he's through with his honor role like i imagine he would be a prime candidate to transition to become a color commentator uh, as part of this show um but this match the storytelling was i think fantastic it was essentially an initiation for wheeler yuda into whatever stable that they're all forming together giving the man the biggest beating of his life like if you just tuned in part way through watching this without knowing the character dynamics you would have thought that brian and mox were heels like the 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 vicious top heel tag team as they're doing shit like you know attacking pretty much like right before the bell back raking you know doing all this like they are fantastic together but but the story is that they're trying to be vicious they're trying to unleash the aggression not just in the two of them but in in the entire division of this company and and especially in a guy like wheeler yuda the moment that yuda walks to the back and stops He's through, he's deciding he's through with this fucking around with this alien, this like demon underneath the ring, this, this lazy man. He wants to get serious. So he turns around 
I love the fact that he, they didn't just accept him. They're telling him, keep on and keep on proving yourself and maybe we'll talk. He has to earn his way into this group. Um, and, and when that moment comes, like I, I, I've never been so interested in Wheeler Yuta. And like, I, I really took this as the fact they had these, these segments in such close proximity. Like you have a great story whenever you want to go to it of the wrestlers and the sports entertainers at some point. Oh, I love it. Like That's Garcia great. and Utah as like opposites now. Yeah. As like, like far down the road. Totally. Like there, there's a lot of ideas just from watching the show that we came away with. Also worth noting, and maybe it's reading into things, but it, in the Regal interview, like he isolates three people from like that WWE NXT period over the last like 10, 11 years. He mentions like Brian Danielson working with him, having that program with Moxley and his last match ever with Cesaro. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, and I think like that, uh, you know, I it's don't almost know. too much, though. I know this is already a super group, but come on, like you're throwing like another legend in this already stacked group. I don't Man. look at this is too much as a deterrent in this company. I do not think they look at that way. It's just, hey, we will we are going to overwhelm. You are going to have the grandest yeah. buffet and you worry if you're full later. Uh, certainly like and and. If you want to see what the effects of, you know, having two main event caliber wrestlers teaming together are, watch this match and you will see like, man, Brian and Mox as a team are incredible. Like they are fantastic together, beat for beat. They're like aggressive. Um, They know how to work a crowd. They they just like it. It's just fantastic. Smir- like Danielson's smirk. It's tremendous. Like he's yeah. just so cocky. It's like it, it really is just a natural chemistry that they have. So Shivani is with FTR. It's our follow up from the big angle last week. Dax is in his uh, his Gordian uh, Doc Miracle Violence Connection shirt. And Cash Wheeler says that Tully lost focus and therefore he lost his job. And the young bucks walk in, state that they should get a better stylist and a better barber. And you can hire the best there is but you'll still only be the second best team in AEW. Hmm. Okay. What does that mean? I don't know, but they're they're throwing in the the little Brett Easter in hmm. there for you to uh interpret however you want to. And what do you think this means for Tully? I mean, it would I'm like, it was it was very abrupt that you could argue maybe it was just a a write off. Um and if he doesn't resurface, then yeah, then I guess that's obviously w- what it is. Like, I, I don't know if Tully is someone that you are just going to throw to another team. It just, I mean, God, your managers, it's so plentiful that I, I don't know. Like, Tully wasn't doing a whole lot with, with FTR. I don't know if you're really going to just put him with another act and what FTR gets a new manager. Because that certainly seems to be what they are indicating is like there will be someone else. They should have Arn. Okay. Like, Arn should be with FTR now. I mean, but when you say the the best there is, I mean the tease is Brett. It, they are, but I mean that's. And is Brett going to be as a, a, any more effective of a manager than than Tully was? I have a hard time imagining Brett as a regular week to week manager, unless mm-hmm. this is something he would really enjoy doing. He should be their social media manager. That's what oh. he should do. He should tweet for them. <laughs> Brett, Brett giving his his honest opinions of FTR's opponents. Yeah, that'd be great. He's a three well. at best. <laughs> I I feel Ar- Arn to me is just the natural. He's just he's missing on the show. He needs something. The thing is, FTR doesn't need a manager. They don't need somebody to talk for them. I think they want it for the act. I think I think it does work with a manager. But 
We'll see. The Acclaim did a promo on Keith Lee, compared him to uh, Cleveland Jr., and then Caster said he's a no-limit soldier. Starks and Hobbs yeah, but then he in. started barking. You know, where was the, uh? Um, well, he has his limits as a no-limit soldier. Starks and Hobbs enter and told them to put Keith Lee down, and then Swerve walks into the scene saying he's turned Friday nights into whose house? And he walks off and Ma- Max asks, isn't that guy a rapper? I guess he is. He's a mogul. Jericho Appreciation Society. So the new group comes out. Jericho is uh, his ensemble here consisted of a purple coat, purple shoes, and purple gloves. Kind of a Joker vibe. Um, sure, or a Grimace vibe. You know, Whatever you want to associate Prince vibe. purple with, yes. Uh, Matt Lee says that Jericho is the one responsible for Judas and allows the crowd to sing it. And they all cheer this. And if it was up to Matt Lee, there would be no Judas and no sing-along. Jeff Parker then says that Jericho should be idolized, including his contributions as a human being, and introduces Jericho, who explains that the Earth has been around for four and a half billion years, and you're lucky enough to be living during the Jericho era, where he has given you 30 years of five-star matches, great promos, storylines, and angles. He built this company. He carried it at the beginning. Yet I see what you write on social media, and it's hurtful. I'm not appreciated by the fans, by the AEW roster, by the inner circle. I thought this was going to turn into like the Edge promo. And says that Sammy Guevara walked out on him. There was plenty of purple. There was, yes. Um, But he he kept his theme, and uh, and it was bright. I could see the fans. And Santana and Ortiz abandoned him, and he's embarrassed that their friend Eddie Kingston tapped him out at the at the pay-per-view. And he explains the name, the Jericho Appreciation Society, because they appreciate each other. We can't relate to the rest of the locker room who are just pro wrestlers. And no pro wrestler has ever been legendary, and no pro wrestler has ever been a millionaire. I am a sports entertainer, and the crowd is livid at this description of this profession. So Daniel Garcia rips the microphone away from Jericho and he's got to get something off his chest. If you say that you're a sports entertainer, then I am too. And everyone boos Daniel Garcia. Okay. So, I mean, there are reports that had come out last month that Jericho had trademarked or filed for a trademark for sports entertainer. First of all, I mean, I'm surprised that that, that term was available. Um, I don't know whether or not he was successful, but of course, like, you know, I I don't know if it would prevent him from using it in this context. When I heard about that, I mean, I think we're all wondering, well, what does this guy have up his sleeve? Seeing it come out this way, you know, I had almost wondered if using the term sports entertainer as like a heat getting line. I I was wondering if like that was a little too passe or too on the nose, you know, of an anti WWE thing. But I mean, I thought it absolutely like tna was doing it with like sports entertainment extreme and that was almost like 19 years ago sure but i think we have to remind ourselves that most fans aren't you and i who are talking about these terms all the time you know many fans are are not you know just in that realm where a term like this might even be passe and to see him use it tonight and to see the execution it absolutely worked but what clinched it for me even you know a jaded fan like me john was when you had the indie wrestler of the year, okay? Somebody as far removed from the WWE realm uh, and system 
uh, the technical marvel daniel garcia coming out and saying i am a sports entertainer it is that is the most hilarious absurd thing ever and and just made this thing work for me brandon thurston's gonna have to rename his podcast i mean he sports produced entertainment he, he helped produce this man oh boy so um garcia was just tremendous i thought here and the crowd was just so livid at this um jericho then takes over this is pretty much like week two of dynamite establishment mm. of the inner circle where he just went one by one he calls uh daniel garcia the mass of the red death and explains why each person appreciates jericho and he goes back to the car crash that daniel garcia was involved with in january of 2019 with kevin blackwood kevin bennett and puff where garcia broke his tibia and fibia and Jericho donated thousands of dollars to their GoFundMe, and he healed and learned to walk again. And a legit, a legit story. story. Totally mm-hmm. legit story. We remember and- the Kickstarter. And, I mean, it, the, Jericho has plenty of times, you know, just uh, contributed under Chris Irvin uh, money towards these He has donated to a lot of different, like, causes o- over mm-hmm. the years. Um, he then calls Matt Lee and Jeff Parker – Stupid names that were a result of bad creative. <laughs> and he is now like he can get away with like calling out this stuff, um, which is kind of what he did. That's that inner circle promo when they started chanting swagger at ja- at Jake Hager. Uh, yeah, yeah. And also we the people like that's uh, that's what they were chanting. We the people. Yeah, and he shut yeah. it, them down and said, we, we will never hear that again. And that's what yeah. he said here. We are never going to hear these stupid names again. They are going by their real names. Their birth <laughs> certificates read Daddy Magic, Matt Menard and Cool Hand Ange, Angelo Parker. I <laughs> I fucking howled. This is hilarious. This setup. Daddy Magic. <laughs> Matt this, Menard. This setup in the reveal was just fantastic. Um, like playing, like to me, like okay, it might be passe to like you know make fun of the term sports entertainer, but it is not never too too passe to like make fun of WWE's renaming convention and him serving it up by saying that we're going to not get fake names, we're going to get real names, and coming out with the most ridiculous names. Oh my goodness, it was. It was amazing. This was great. I so, hope they. St- I hope they keep these names. Okay, every time they come out. Um, I'm. I'm sure that they will. And they. He says that when they got fired from WWE, his former friend Kevin gave him a call and asked if he could put them on talk as Jericho. And I brought them into my home, and they saw their passion, and he saw their passion, and was able to help them get into AEW. Uh, which I believe is probably completely 100% true and is the reason that they appreciate Jericho. And finally, Jake Hager, my ride or die, who's had my back since 2010, saved my life in Dubai, is my closest advisor and the hand of the king. Jake, tell them who we are. We are the JAS and we beat up pro wrestlers. And Jericho says to remember this date when the era of the sports entertainer begins. This was a terrific segment, and Jericho got this thing over tremendously well. Even if you think it's like a goofy name for the name, like Jericho, this is what I wanted more so out of like the Edge promo, because Edge is very good at taking whatever and like justifying it. 
Jericho, it was at another level here. Like it just, it added, it added all the why. Like it answered all of your whys. This is not some random assortment of guys in the locker room that are being thrown mm-hmm. with Jericho. There is a reason for each and every one of them. And, and they are all rooted in reality. All of these backstories, you know, I, I like the backstories here more than what he gave for the inner circle. Um, every single person here, he had a legitimate reason that we could buy about why he chose these particular people. I, I thought it was a great segment. Um, I think you can look at this as Jericho's next class of students. He's about to elevate. Last week was the graduation of the first class. Sammy Guevara, proud and powerful. Get your certificates. Jake Hager, you're, you're missing a few credits, so you might have to stay for a semester or two, but that's okay. Um, it was our, this was our introduction to the next class. And I, I, I thought it was a wonderful, another great introductory promo for Chris Jericho's new stable. All right, so there there was the segment, and now uh, he can use his new submission, the the sports entertainer. <laughs> Good. Move, moving on, uh, we had Serena Deeb react to Hikaru Shida, and Serena Deeb is planning to end her career. Scorpio Sky Wardlow TNT title. Uh, they came out. Scorpio Sky was with Dan Lambert, who's wearing the alternate TNT title. And Paige Van Zant was with Austin Vanderford in the corner. So Wardlow is going after Sky in the corner. Vanderford and Paige then get into Wardlow's way on the floor. And he goes to powerbomb Austin when Sky hits a baseball slide dropkick. And this is where they take over and they go through the break. Wardlow's uh, leg is hurt. He stops a slingshot cutter and he goes for the powerbomb. The crowd is getting so excited, but Sky avoids it and he gets dropped. He calls for the powerbomb, hits it. The crowd is chanting, hits a second powerbomb, a third powerbomb. Lambert gets onto the apron as Sky rolls to the floor. And as Wardlow goes for an apron bomb, Spears walks out, distracting Wardlow. And then MJF sneaks up from behind, sends him into the post. And Wardlow instinctually rolls into the ring and gets covered by Scorpio Sky, who retains the championship. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, after the, ma- the, the title change happened last week, I think the more people thought about it, the more we expected this to be the outcome of this particular match. I Because we know that Tony Khan doesn't really do transitional champions all that often, if at all. And I think this audience over the past week has become really excited about a Scorpio Sky reign. You know, he's perceived as somebody who has has been, you know, waiting for his due for, for quite a while. Um And of course, Wardlow has this MJF program to get through. So I, I think everybody kind of wins coming off of this. Vanderford attacks Wardlow. He's dropping elbows. MJF puts on the dynamite ring as everyone is chanting for CM Punk, but he would not show up. Wardlow fights them all off and avoids the chair attack at first. And he stares down MJF and everyone's going insane just for him to get his hands on MJF. And he grabs MJF and he goes to the power bomb. And this is the spot that they that'll be like the end of this whole thing is like MJF getting that power bomb symphony. But of course on this, they, they avoided it as Spears hit him with the chair. Vanderford applies a rear naked choke. And Jim Ross says that Wardlow must be an unpopular guy in the locker room because no one is coming to help him as Spears hits him with the chair. MJF and Lambert shake hands over the deal they made. And he nails Wardlow with the ring stands on his chest and tells him this was your call as he slaps Wardlow. So, I do think that uh, Punk at some point gets involved here, and I feel that we will get, this is my prediction, CM Punk and Austin Vanderford. 
welterweight okay. fight. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yes. Um, would it be realistic for Punk to win? No. I think that should be his Achilles heel is like actual MMA fighters. He should just, he should just lose to all of them. You know? Yeah. Um, I thought this was really good. Um, I, I thought this was a really good way to kick off the MJF Wardlow story or at least continue it in a really big way. He didn't win the championship, but I think you could argue that Wardlow, because they've done such a good job with him, I think he's almost past the point of needing the TNT championship. He's already like successfully feuding with guys like MJF who are world title contenders. You know, this was to me a segment all set up to have CM Punk arrive to Wardlow's aid next week or in the coming weeks. And I love how in AEW, there's always an eye to using your established superstars to building up new talent. And, you know, I mean, Wardlow was under MJF's wing for a long, long time, but now he's going to be under CM Punk's wing or at least be attached to him. And um, it's going to just elevate this guy as a babyface that much more. I also think that if if you're looking at the argument, like where was Punk to help this guy? Like I'm sure they'll have some explanation, but I think you can also have like a reasonable um, explanation of Punk. Like, yeah, this guy helped me at the end. He also fucked with me for a while too, and I I don't have this guy's back at, at, at this point. Like this is the guy that gave me all those power bombs that cost me the match in Chicago. And at the end, yes, he he helped me, but we're not best friends. Sure, yeah, no. Every you know worthwhile relationship probably has a, a bit of friction attached to it at the beginning. So um, he's going to have to earn his trust. Then we had uh, Alex Marvez with Jade Bar- uh, Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling, and they're just continuing to tease who is going to be the thirtieth uh, opponent for Jade. Private Party comes out and. It's the Hardys with their AEW in-ring debut as a tandem. And Jeff came out. Place went insane for the Hardys. And Jeff was out wearing the the, the colors of the Ukraine flag. Okay, I didn't even realize. Yeah. He wow, had like the, cool. the blue and, and yellow as his like color pattern. So, uh, man, th- th- this match, it was like there was no RK way. bro. It, like there was no way this could fail. Like this mm-hmm. was the Hardys could come out. They could play the hits. This crowd just wants to see the Hardys do Hardy stuff. That's yes. all they wanted. Jeff gets tagged in. They hit the poetry in motion. Like you would think this crowd was going to like collapse. Um, brother Nero chance, delete chance. Um, they cut off. Matt gets the heat. Um, at one point, Matt goes for a razor's edge, which gets, which gets cut off and the crowd gets uh, sad by that one. And they run Matt's balls into the post as private party says, no more kids for you. And that's our setup for the commercial. Um, they beat down on Matt. Crowd's chanting for Jeff. Cassidy starts mocking Jeff's mannerisms and they try the poetry in motion. But Matt catches Cassidy in midair with a side effect and the place explodes, but only to the point that it is dwarfed by the hot tag to Jeff who comes in. It was like th- this was just incredible to watch. <laughs> like it was just like n- nothing crazy, but they they reacted so loud to everything. Jeff comes in, knocks Quen- uh, he gets knocked off balance. Matt hits a side effect to stop the gin and juice. So Jeff hits a splash for a two count. The crowd wants the swanton. They stop the silly string, double twist of fate, and Jeff goes to the top. They know what's next, and Jeff comes off with a swanton onto Isaiah Cassidy um, that I'm sure Sami Zayn, after that 6.30 from SmackDown last Friday, can appreciate because, dude, he landed on Isaiah Cassidy and pinned him. Crowd was incredible here, and the Hardys win. Very, very fun match. 
I thought so too. Yeah. And I mean, as a match itself, honestly, there's nothing that special about it. Um, it, it just technically, like, it, I it mentioned- didn't have to be. And quite honestly, yeah. like, if they want to get some mileage out of like Matt working like regularly, like they shouldn't be going crazy. You don't need to go. Of course doing, not. Especially like- not on your first night in when the spectacle was to see Jeff Hardy That's in an it. AEW ring. That's I it. mentioned RK Bro earlier because this followed a very similar tried and true formula of keeping the superstar away for as long as you can until that hot tag at the end and boy did it work here with jeff hardy it made jeff feel very special here and otherwise it was a very standard hardy boys match for a crowd that wanted a standard hardy boys match every everything was like clicked they were receptive for it and private party were excellent first opponents yeah afterwards andrade comes out with the the remaining office members and then Darby and Sting come out and they have a big uh, stare down. So continuing to go in, in that direction where we get whether it's a six man, eight man. Somewhere you know, what's what's funny, like for a guy who portrays himself as a loner, like Darby Allen, I think, has the most friends of anybody in this company. Like Mox is his friend. Sting is his friend. Punk likes him. And now the Hardys, like he's got more friends than the best friends. Yeah, uh, what what's his name had the gave him the seal of the of approval? Johnny Knoxville. No, what's his name? You know, Cody. Oh yes, that too. So how we go by now? So yeah, um, really really strong segment, and they love this rampage on Friday night. So this is airing at eleven thirty or whenever the basketball game ends. Keith Lee and Max Caster, Darby Allen against the Butcher, Layla Hirsch versus Red Velvet, and House of Black against Bear Country and Serpentico. Feels like more of a throwaway rampage than normal. Yeah, for eleven thirty to twelve thirty, I mean, I don't think they're expecting big ratings for it. But I mean, they are following like a basketball game. I don't know if that's significant or not. We'll say like it's. Uh, I think Darby and the Butcher will be like the wrestling will be fine. It's just this is not all that star studded. Mm-hmm. Shivani interviewed Red Velvet, and she's coming after Layla Hirsch on Friday night. And that takes us to the main event with Dr. Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa steel cage match for the AEW Women's Championship. And this had been a pretty hot crowd all show long, and then it went to the next level. And they had a mariachi band to play out Thunder Rosa, who comes out, and, I mean, you know exactly where this match is going. Mm -hmm. I mean, they... They are, were very smart. It was like, hey, we know what you want. We're going to give you what you want. But we are always going to be able to live off of the last like generation of WWE wrestling fans <laughs> who will believe that there's no way. I, they're, they're going to create that doubt. It's the same fans that thought, <laughs> you know what would be great at the United Center? If Punk's music plays, but instead of Punk showing up, it's MJF. Yeah, yeah. And you're uh, always going to have that doubt. Like people will they will never assume like you're getting like the big ending. Um and maybe it's good to create that doubt, but um this was about as clear-cut as you knew things were going here. It's so funny cuz like when I think of like big matches where one person gets a grand entrance and the other person does not, to me like I think about WrestleMania 12 where Shawn Michaels comes down the zip line as the challenger and Brett just walks out. And even as a little kid, I knew exactly what the finish was going to be. Um, so it's WWE kind of establishing like these expectations in the past to me that I, for some reason they no longer follow. Um, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, of course. You needed to create a big moment. It doesn't matter what might be telegraphed or what might not. Because in years' time, we're going to be thinking about the mariachi band. We're going to be thinking about Thunder Rosa coming out with the emotion on her face 
looking like she was about to live the biggest moment of her life. It's it's where people complicate pro wrestling, where you look at some setting like this and the audience is telling you what they want. So you can either maximize what they want so you get the biggest reaction possible or you get into this trap where, oh, it's so obvious we now have to trick them. Yeah, it's silly. They could have tricked us. Yeah, they could have done that. Baker could have stolen the pinfall at the end. That would have been, that would have done wonders. A sold out arena that has come to see Thunder Rosa win the title. We could have tricked them and they would have gone home saying, man, I was really hoping Thunder Rosa would win, but I, I didn't think that would happen. I think people confuse unpredictability with just like surprise. There are ways to satisfy people while surprising them and giving them the finish that I think everybody wants, giving them the ending of the story that I think everybody wants. You know, it's your twists and turns that I think we're asking for. And that doesn't always need to come in the form of an unhappy ending. Well, now it's the other way around because you have like a generation of some fans. I'll say some fans that this is the surprise that Thunder yeah. Rosa won. <laughs> like this was like, oh, man, she won. There yeah. were no shenanigans. They're not going to overturn this. Uh, yeah, don't say wrestling isn't layered, okay? There's, there's years of psychology that built up into a moment like this. Uh, Britt Baker came out in black and white tribute gear for, for Scott Hall. and With the drips. Yes, with the drips. Um, early on, she is uh, getting her face uh, rubbed into the cage, so she's bleeding early, and uh, shortly after, Thunder Rosa is bleeding as well. So blood in this match, but I wouldn't say it was like, the dominant uh, theme of the match. I think they were trying, John. Like, I think they, they were they were trying pretty hard to, to, you know, achieve the same blood flow that we saw in that first match a year ago, of course, um, and, and doubly this time. But, I mean, it didn't they, need that much blood. It's fine. They wanted, to, they wanted a Toronto Star match. That's what they were shooting for. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Baker brings Forget chairs. the five-star scale. What about the Toronto Star scale? <laughs> yes, yes. What will the comment be? <laughs> Uh, Baker brings chairs into the ring. Rosa fires back with clotheslines and hits a stunner on 316. Baker then misses a super kick and nails Paul Turner, who just flies to the floor. Dude, Paul Turner just took a, a tumble after the super kick. I, I also love the fact that at least, like, I don't know if this is for all AEW cage matches, but at least for this one, they mentioned there are no um escape rules here no you cannot win by escape which is i think the original idea of what a cage match is supposed to be it's supposed to contain people in there just so that they can get you know a a conclusive finish so i like that this is also a pretty uniquely shaped cage in that one side is pressed up against the ring for them to you know do their spots on climb you know uh, ram their opponent's head heads into and the rest of it has uh, basically you know the the um the 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 uh, uh, aisle way, or at least uh, what, what am I thinking of? You know, the mats on the outside. So it's almost like a combination of like a hell in a cell and a steel cage. Yeah, yeah, and that and, th- and that adds a lot having having that room around the ring. So both are bleeding. Paul Turner's out, and Thunder Rosa gets a gets a visual cover on Britt Baker, but no referee hits a fire thunder driver. The crowd is screaming, counting as there's no referee to count. Baker comes back. She stacks the chairs and hits an air raid crash off the second turnbuckle. At this point, Aubrey Edwards comes in to replace Turner as the referee. Rosa kicks out from the chair spot to a huge reaction. And then Baker sets up this 
chair contraption in the corner where we have four chairs set up and then she puts chairs on top of them all in the seated position and they battle on the top turnbuckle and they're just throwing back strikes and the crowd is waiting to see who will take the plunge of death and it's Baker who comes off the the cage with her head rammed and goes through these chairs she did land on like the flat part of the seats but it's it's metal chairs nonetheless so it was Mm -hmm. a pretty spectacular looking fall but it's only a two count Baker kicks out from this and she gets to the floor and brings thumbtacks into the ring. Jim Ross is questioning why are there thumbtacks underneath a professional wrestling ring? And Thunder Rosa stops her, but Baker back body drops Thunder Rosa onto the tacks. There's a kick out, and Baker goes to the lockjaw, shifts to the other side, and with Baker's hand free, Thunder Rosa takes her hand and slams it over and over onto the tacks. What a great spot. It looked like it really hurt. I also really <laughs> appreciated like the really like technical float over from one side of the lockjaw to the other in the midst of all this carnage. Um, so that was actually quite nice. So Baker is, has to give up on the lockjaw. Her hand is in pain and she gets power bombed onto the tax followed by the fire thunder driver and thunder Rosa wins the championship. And we go off the air with thunder Rosa celebrating in her hometown and Dustin Rhodes is in the ring as well to congratulate her. A, uh, I thought this was a spectacular show. The whole show was was incredible, but let, let's focus on this match first. Like yes. the the moment of that pinfall, we all knew what the finish was going to be, and I'm sure Thunder Rosa, of course, knew what the finish was going to be. But nonetheless, the emotion when it became real on her face, with thumbtacks on her body, with blood flowing down her forehead, and with tears flowing down her eyes. I'll never forget that visual, you know, like in a predetermined sport, like there are moments like this that are so rare for athletes like this to achieve that, of course, feel incredibly real. And and those are the moments to me that like make this stuff worth watching. I got emotional here. You know, it was really beautiful. I don't know if this match was as good as the first one, but I had higher expectations for this one. They, everybody had higher expectations for it. I would certainly qualify it as a worthy sequel, and the emotion attached to the finale definitely was higher, especially given the backstory and the outstanding setting that they had. And let's not forget, like last year's one as well, you had like the limited crowds at, at Daly's yeah. place. So totally, like how imagine tonight's show in that setting at, at Daly's place. Like the crowd was such a huge part of tonight's show. I mean, it's our, you know, millionth reminder of like what the, the atmosphere does for a wrestling show. Um, it was, I, I thought this was a tr- tremendous show. Uh, both women I thought were incredibly hard in, in this main event. And you're right. Like it was like the post-match stuff. She conveyed it so big. Like this was a significant title change going from, you know, you're, you're really one of your pillars of the company as, as they have, uh, I think the best her. women's title run that they've had. Oh, easily. I, I would say yeah. easily at this, at this point. Like she has elevated that title. It's like, uh, a, a sizable shift now to like the successor to Britt Baker uh, with, with Thunder Rosa and you did it in the right place, the right time. Mm-hmm. It's I, I think totally um, justified why they did the pay-per-view the way they did. Like this yep. came off, like this was so much of a better idea than if they had done that, you know, with several matches to follow at the pay-per-view and it would have been just one of many, many matches on that show. Well, everything almost seems so perfect. Like a year from the day of, them doing that last match, being in uh, Thunder Rose's hometown. It's almost as if he booked this show 
for this particular match in this particular moment. You know? They might have. They might have. Yeah. But, I mean, hey, we waited a whole year for this. And by the time I got here, um, they stuck the landing, you know, um, onto thumbtacks. And, like, on top of it, like, we, we always talk about this. Like, what, like you create that, that hometown hero. Mm-hmm. And the next time they come to San Antonio, like, it's going to be a big deal just because of memories of this night that yeah. th- this audience is going to leave and I'm sure have a pretty positive reaction to tonight's show that the next time they come that like that's that's a benefit and I, I don't know if if they had pulled the rug out from underneath Thunder Rosa that six months from now you would have had oh Dynamite's back in town gotta make sure we're there because that last time man did we get cheated it's crazy like this, that this to me is going to resonate with an audience so much more that they will remember this. Well, it's crazy that we're even having that thought, you know, that that a professional wrestling company could possibly even consider that having such a perfect moment be taken away for a hometown wrestler when the goal of this is to build superstars and to create memories. Right. And to WWE's credit, I, I think like when it comes time for a WrestleMania. They do do stuff like that. You know, they do give like the home, like whatever, the, the, the main character, um, the, the championship. But I mean, of course, there have been plenty of other opportunities where they've been able to give hometown stars a win and they haven't. So, um, regardless of like those comparisons, I love this show. I was fully engaged throughout it all. I thought you had significant storyline moments and, or just great wrestling in almost every single segment. To me, this was on a show that felt as rushed as every as previous weeks. The, the I, pacing was so much better this week from, and maybe last week was like an exceptionally busier show that than mm-hmm. it, it was. It was more busy than than even a typical dynamite, which is busy. Um, th- this one to me, it was a big difference just having five matches as opposed to six. You mm. got length with that six man instead of you know Hangman and Dante Martin rushing through like seven minutes last week. You got 14 where the commercial in the, in the middle did not hinder that. And I, I thought you had everything breathe a lot more just having the five matches and especially with everything leading to the main event, which was pretty much the last like 25 minutes of the show. Yeah, I thought everything honestly was worth watching on this show. Like there's no kind of cherry picking out of this show because I thought everything was worthwhile from the opening six man tag to that Moxley Brian Yuta stuff, which was a great storytelling and a great match. You had the talking segment in in between. Like it wasn't just like, you know, like wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Like you had a big like talking segment that was significant and was very strong to establish like a main heel unit in, in the company. Absolutely. And of course, a fantastic main event. All right. Well, there you go. That was St. Patrick's Day Slam. Damn, I forgot to leave a feedback thread. <laughs> uh, let's see if anybody left it for. Well, <laughs> sorry, everybody. I forgot to leave. I, I do that. When, with five minutes to go until like showtime, I, I tend to forget something. Listen so away. it's all right. Apologies. People will, will forgive. But uh, we are going to be back. Uh, Way and I are splitting up for Thursday. Uh, I will be live at 1 Eastern with Rich Fan right here on the channel and then way at 3 p.m. with Jordan Goodman for the wellness policy, which will, will be live for Post Wrestling Cafe members and then available later in the day on the cafe feed, correct? Uh, on the cafe feed, yes, but it will be available for free and also at YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. All right, so check that out. Uh, do subscribe to the channel. Give it a thumbs up. And again, we will be back Friday night. Uh, rewind to SmackDown. Special start time. We will go live 10.05 p.m. Eastern time right after SmackDown. And we'll probably be – we'll get done right in time for you to watch Rampage if you just want to go all night long. So thanks to everybody for joining us live, and we'll speak with you on Thursday.